Hey there, this is Kim on the Startup CPG team. Did you know that over 70% of in-store promotions are not effective and over 80% of brands will fail while promoting at the shelf, but you have to run promotions with retailers? So what's the solution? Thankfully, Promomash, the only all-in-one promotion management platform, and Crisp, a leading retail data platform that integrates with over 40 retailers, have developed a joint solution that gives CPG brands a level of visibility and control they've never had before over their trade spend and promo performance. A free 30-day risk-free trial is available exclusively for Startup CPG members. Just go to promomash.com slash Startup CPG. Promomash is spelled P-R-O-M-O-M-A-S-H. To see for yourself what more effective promotion planning looks like, that's promomash.com slash Startup CPG, or the link is in the show notes. Just because somebody has a lot of experience doesn't mean that they have experience taking a company from zero. I don't know, maybe we were like uh, 100,000 in sales to 200,000 in sales and then to a million and then 5 million. Welcome to the Startup CPG Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. Today's episode is really special. Kara Golden, the founder of Hint, agreed to come on the show to talk about leadership. Kara founded Hint in 2005 and the company is best known for being the first unsweetened flavored water with no preservatives on the market. She scaled Hint to over 30,000 retail locations and over 150 employees. Kara has been named one of InStyle's Badass 50, Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business, Fortune's Most Powerful Women Entrepreneurs, EY's Entrepreneur of the Year 2017 Northern California, and in 2021, Hint was named one of Inc.'s best-led companies in America. She's also been featured on How I Built This, a really great interview that I recommend. And her book, Undaunted, has been a Wall Street Journal and Amazon bestseller. And actually, due to some technical difficulties, my time with Kara was cut a little bit short, so I've included at the end of the episode a bit of a book club where I share some of my favorite pieces from Kara's book, which I highly recommend. Listen in as Kara shares about leading during tough times and her mindset, stories from leading during the pandemic and how Hint grew 40% during 2020, how Hint expanded business with Costco, Sam's Club, Walmart, and Aldi during the pandemic, the early days of growing Hint and leveling up as a leader and how lack of industry experience can be an advantage, communicating effectively and with transparency, especially during uncertainty, and how follow-up is critical, managing employee growth and development as a leader, and more. Hi, Kara. Welcome to the show today. I am so excited to have you here. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I, I've got your book right here. Um, it's got its like reflective, uh, reflective library cover, and I'm drinking my Hint water and I loved your book. Like I, I picked it up and I was like, oh, I'm going to interview Kara. I definitely want to read her book. You know, I'll read it before bed. I'll just read one chapter. And yeah, no, I couldn't. I couldn't put it down. I read half the book that first night and then I did really have to fall asleep. And then I finished it like the next day. So it was so fun to get to read, you know, read some of your story and then now get to talk to you today. Oh, I love it. Well, I think it's really applicable um, to people who are in it right? That they're, you know, trying to get through stuff. They're not really sure how they're going to get through stuff. It's the 
it's the times when things are really, really hard that I found so many people have said like this book has really um, helped me to know that I can do it. And uh, I tried to leave a little bit of humor um, along the way, because, you know, if you can't laugh at some of the stuff, uh, as I always say, you know, you can't make the stuff up along the way. It's just so nuts. And you've obviously, you know, dealt with many of those issues, just being in uh, operations and supply chain. And and uh, I can only imagine, especially during the last couple of years, what you've uh, had to endure or or had to uh, or basically what you've seen. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it, it's so good. I definitely recommend it um, to everyone. I'll link it in the show notes in case some of our audience members haven't listened. But, you know, today what I what I wanted to discuss with you was kind of the topic of leadership and how it evolves and the work that you had to do as the organization as Hint changed and grew. And I think what really stood out to me, it might have been in the book or an interview I listened to with you or listening to your own show, because I love uh, your podcast as well, where you talked about leading during the pandemic and how Hint actually experienced major growth during the pandemic. Can you share with us about how you had to adjust as a leader during the pandemic to help your team through a scary and challenging time? Sure. Well, first of all, I think that the key thing that I've learned through challenging times is it's during those times that the uh, previous challenging times really help you to figure out how to lead best. And nobody really knew uh, what, you know, we were being hit with, uh, with, with the pandemic in terms of uh, how long it would last, right? And exactly what, um, you know, what would happen with schools closing down and having employees that were having to homeschool kids. So, to some extent, I feel like the challenges of, of you know, 2007, 2008, um, during the financial crisis, being a very young startup, uh, we started our company Hint in 2005, I was able to kind of use some of those lessons where essentially everything that you knew about, you know, the way that the organization works um, and uh, in terms of departments and and uh, you could almost uh, put people into pods to some extent. There's the finance group and the marketing. Some of those rules just go out the door, right? So when people are having to deal with their family, when people are having to deal with a great amount of stress and anxiety um, that everybody sort of, you know, regulates differently, you have to show your human side of, of, you know, who you are and, um, and get people back to a place where, uh, you know, they're calm, um, they feel confident and, and comfortable. And so I think what I've learned is that when you can get people back to that place, when you see people being very anxious, um, maybe it helps in some ways to have uh, been a mother as well, that you're basically trying to get people back to where they can actually, uh, you know, be themselves in in many ways. That was the key thing uh, that I learned. But we also felt like the other thing that we learned back in 2007, 2008 is you think about, you, you make the best guess at what is going to happen and you have to be able to pivot um, and you have to be able to pivot the team. And the team will look for leadership and guidance and uh, and somebody who is showing them the way. Um, but I think that more than anything, you know, saying that you have no idea what you're doing or we're doing it this way is not the way 
uh, to lead more than anything. That's great. I love that. And can you tell us any specific stories from that time? So our specific experience during COVID was uh, basically I had seen in mid-March that uh, we have an office in New York City and also our main office in San Francisco. And I had been in New York on, uh, I actually flew out on March 11th and walked into our office on the afternoon of March 11th and really noticed how the team was quite stressed. And New York was, you know, really ground zero um, for COVID, at, at least in the U.S., um, where the uh, the first cases that people had really started talking about of COVID was uh, at The Gap, which happened to be across the street from our offices. So people in our company were very stressed, like, were they taking the subway with these people? I mean, where are we going with this? And I, of course, didn't know the answer. But what I could do was suggest to people, why don't we all just work from home? Why don't we all calm down and everybody doesn't have to take the subway, sort of go into triage, um, so to speak. So that was the first thing. Um, and that's when New York City really started shutting down on Thursday and Friday of that week. And when I flew back to San Francisco on the night of the 13th, I stopped in a Target store where we have a huge distribution for Hint. Um, actually, my I wanted to pick up a couple of things. I got off the plane in San Francisco and I popped into the Target close by SFO. And I noticed that we were totally out of stock on product. And I thought, wow, like, where's the back stock? So, you know, being the founder that I am, I walk into the back room at Target at, you know, close to nine o'clock at night and look for the back stock. There's no back stock. So I walk up to the cash register and, and, uh, ask them to uh, look up Hint and see, you know, exactly what the uh, the EDI, the back end of it, and how much stock is actually in, in stock. And they said there's none in stock. And I thought that that was incredibly strange. So I actually got on the phone again, like, I don't know why I did this or what sort of prepared me for this, but I called another Target store and I said, do you have Hint in stock? And they said, we're out of stock. I knew that we had plenty in the warehouse. But it was at that point that I really realized that there's an issue here. We had been hearing about product, um, you know, hoarding at stores, et cetera. But it was it, it was really me being on the ground floor and actually seeing that this was occurring was uh, was what gave me um kind of some clarity that this is really bad. And we and I think there's just a lot of, you know, issues there. So that weekend was really when we made some phone calls and emails and realized that it was much more out of control than I think anyone was talking about at this point. But we knew we had product in our warehouse. And so we started ordering trucks to be able to put these into stores. We're now at Monday morning and we said to our team that we need to get into the stores and just make sure that all these stores have it because the data that we're getting out of these stores that which says that we're in stock and they should have plenty of stock for some reason it's not making it from um, the warehouse into whether it's at the distributor or um, or actually in a warehouse for for target and that was just one example it wasn't making it so that's when the world was really starting to shut down and we took people who would normally be doing other roles in the company uh, including like 
sampling because we weren't going to be doing that and reallocating them into other roles. So as that week moved on, people were starting to ask, people were totally willing to be reallocated into jobs to, you know, all hands on deck and make sure that everything was going well. But they were also trying to deal with their own life, right? And their own family. We're an essential product. So um, the definition of that was that we were, it was mandatory that we needed to make sure that product was in stores, et cetera. We were also, by the way, it was a crazy time. Uh, we were launching uh, Walmart chainwide, Sam's Club chainwide. And then two weeks after the pandemic started, we got a phone call from Costco, who was interested in going uh, across the country with him as soon as possible because many of their products could not do, could not deliver. Um, and because we did everything in the US and we didn't have the supply chains issues that other people had dealing with um, bringing in cans, for example, from China, when that part of the world was shut down, Costco wanted us to be able to deliver. So nobody in their right mind would be saying yes to, right? I mean, you, this is, you understand this to Costco, Sam's Club, and and uh, and Walmart. Oh, and one other Aldi. <laughs> I mean, it was it was crazy. But we said yes, not really knowing whether or not we could do that or not. But also when we went back and asked the team, what do you think? I mean, can we do this? To some extent, the warehouses were easier because there was a lot less, um, you know, people on our end that needed to um, kind of handle it. We still needed from a production standpoint um, to be able to handle it. On the note of production, can you share a little bit about that piece? So that side of uh, of things on the production side, we co-pack, we don't own any of our own plants. So those weren't our employees. But what we did do, because we were planning on 2020 to just be a pretty, um, you know, nice little hockey stick. We didn't know it was going to be a giant hockey stick as it ultimately we grew 40% in 2020. Um, the uh, We had automated and put uh, different change parts into many of the plants that we were co-packing in so that we could keep up with the volume. So because we had made those decisions to do a lot of automation, we felt confident that we would be able to deliver um, so long as we weren't going to have to um, put a lot more stress on, on our team. Very interesting. Thank you. And just going back a little bit, I also just wanted to say that I love how you just were willing to go in the store and figure it out and figure out exactly what was happening. You seem to be a big believer of just kind of going in and figuring out what's going on for yourself. I felt like you can't really lead and tell people to go into stores, do this, do this, unless you're willing to show them. And I've always fe felt like even in a non-pandemic or, or challenging or stressful time that actually understanding not only what somebody's role is and what they do, which is, I think, the beauty of startups is that, you know, if you actually understand, as I always say, enough about um, finance and supply chain to get you in trouble, right? You're going to hire people who are maybe better at you than those roles or love those roles more. Uh, but if actually understanding what they do, I understood how to go into a store, walk into the back room, et cetera. I hadn't done it in a while. Um, on a daily basis. I hadn't ridden in a truck um, on a uh, daily basis, but it was during this time when I'm telling people to go and do this, I thought I need to do this myself. 
and make sure that everybody is safe and what would make me feel safer. And so as I was going through that process, um, I got up early one morning and knew that Target was opening at 6 a.m., uh, our local Target. And so I got to the store right at 6 a.m. to kind of see what was going on, thinking there aren't going to be that many people there. And what I realized, I was about 15 minutes earlier, it was like 5.45 a.m. And I realized that there were people in the store. And so I knocked on on the door and I said, hey, I, I work for Hint. Is it okay if I uh, come in? I just wanted to check our supply and they let me in. And it was at that point where I thought, I feel a lot safer because there's nobody in the store. And, you know, and and again, no one was talking about this or doing this. It was really, I think if you can actually go in and, and kind of see for yourself, I've always felt like that is the best way to 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 lead. So and of course got the masks and all of those kind of things in order to um, be able to make the team feel a lot more comfortable, but also make uh, people in the stores feel more comfortable too. We were probably one of the first to actually be offering branded masks to many people um, in a time when people were actually looking for masks. So, right. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's super interesting. Thank you for sharing about that. And it just shows your willingness to go in and figure it out and be the boots on the ground. And I, I really love that. And I love that about your stories. Um, I'm also curious about how you've like, if there were moments as you were growing, like thinking back to maybe some of the earlier days of like your first few employees, maybe even like, starting to get into the five, 10 employees, were there any moments like as a leader where you had to do some reflection of like, oh, I'm going to have to learn, you know, X, Y, Z skill or like I'm, I'm going to have to modify something to like continue to grow because it seems like you have done so much. You're so intentional about what you do. So I'm curious about like what that intentionality looked like as you have grown as a leader. I think the this was the first 17 years ago when I started Hint, I had never run a company. I had worked for entrepreneurs and supported them, um, which was great experience. But I had never and I had managed people. Um, but I had never been in the CEO role. And so it was new and unique. I think that that coupled with the fact that I moved into an entirely new industry. And I always tell people, you know, when you're when you're learning something new, I'm totally willing to learn something new. But your most normal people are uh challenged at some point, no matter how confident you are. Uh, if you run into somebody, maybe you're a little tired and you run into somebody who actually knows what they're doing and they've got lots of experience, you're more than willing to hand over the keys, right? That you're like, oh my God, you have 10 years experience at Pepsi doing this job that I know that I need to be doing. This is here. Will you come help me? Well, you come, you have great experience. You know exactly what you're doing. The thing that I didn't realize until making some mistakes, those early leadership mistakes, is that just because somebody has a lot of experience doesn't mean that they have experience taking a company from zero. I don't know. Maybe we were like uh, 100,000 in sales to 200,000 in sales and then to a million and then 5 million, right? They've got, they have walked into those roles with systems in place. They haven't created the systems, right? And that is a huge, huge difference. So when you are leading a team and hiring a team in, I think that that is such a key thing because if, if you're hiring somebody in who's actually 
going to be able to like work the system, then they're able to, that is really, uh, that's really much more of a, um, you know, support system than actually a leadership role. And I think like that is the thing that, that I learned along the way, because I thought I could just hand over, for example, um, the operation side of it or the supply chain side of it early on. Um, operations and supply chain were all one and the same, I guess, you know, especially in those early days. But I think like that's the most important thing because, again, you're, you want to hire somebody in for those roles that are that are definitely creators. Um, maybe they haven't created an entire an, an entire company. But the key thing is to be able to hire people in that know how to create, um, you know, this segment, I guess, is the best way to look at it. And then as we grew and that role needed um, more people in it, I think that the thing that I also realized is that somebody who is able to create something um, is possibly different than somebody who's able to manage a whole bunch of people. And so that was the thing that I realized as we started to grow is really asking the question, what does this team really need, right? Is there somebody who can really organize and is used to managing? And frankly, when they come from a large um, CPG background, that is where those skills potentially come into play within a startup is that they can manage people, they can grow teams um, that, you know, depending if they're used to, um, you know, really looking at a division that it has grown significantly versus something that is growing, you know, 1% a year, which if they're coming from a large public company, they just don't really understand it. And I think also somebody who is uh, somebody who is used to working in a scrappy environment that isn't used to having, you know, access to lots and lots of resources. I think that that is that is really, you know, the key thing, because that's the big problem is that when you come from an environment that and you're hiring in somebody expecting them to lead a team and they're going to want um, a giant team, a giant team to somebody who is a million in sales versus a hundred million in sales is a very different um, conversation. And I think that that's the key thing that that you have to figure out. And again, I think it really just depends on what the division is. We found many people um, that we've hired in the past, even for sales, where some people will be, uh, you know, great sales team, um, you know, participants. Uh, it, it, but but then there's other people who can actually organize and who can lead and manage. Um, within divisions. And while they understand the role of sales, they are people people and um, and they know how to manage those people. So if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that that's very helpful. Are you looking to grow your product sales with specific retailers? Do you wish you had store level information about your products? What if there was a way to make sure your next product launch was a success? Social Nature is here to help. Social Nature is an all-in-one shopper marketing platform designed to help emerging brands win at retail. Powered by 1 million natural shoppers, they help you move units off the shelf quickly and get you the store-level insights you need to scale your business. If you're looking to grow at retailers like Whole Foods, Sprouts, Kroger, HEB, Wegmans, Walmart, and more, email marketing at socialnature.com dot com or visit business dot 
startupcpg.com to learn how. And make sure to mention hearing this message on the Startup CPG podcast. That's business.socialnature.com or the link is in the show notes. I'm also wondering how you've navigated the when you're in the early days and you're and so much is shifting all the time. Like there's so many incredible stories like, you know, in, in the book of, na- you know, navigating, getting into Starbucks, leaving Starbucks, like all these big things are shifting. You're, you're manufacturing, everything's changing. What balance have you struck or have you experimented with it of like sharing, you know, again, you've got maybe at the five ten employee stage of like, how much do you share of, of the uncertainty of what's going on and like, you know, get feedback from team members on their thoughts. And it with, you know, with being, okay, this is what I think we're going to do, because in this moment, people need some certainty. So I'm going to make a decision as a leader. So we go forward, because I don't want to freak everyone out. Like there's a certain level of uncertainty Mm -hmm. that a founder can maybe handle that might freak employees out. But also at the early stages, some of your employees are just right there in the trenches with you. Like, I'm curious how you've tried to like strike the balance of like how much you share about the uncertainty that's happening or your thought press processes on things like, you know, and if there's, yeah, any advice on kind of managing what to share, what not to share when it's time to just make a decision and go for it or when it's time to kind of pull the group and it may cause some anxiety for the team, but also at least they kind of know what's going on behind the curtain. Yeah, I mean, I think you really need to look at the situation and, um, you know, call it a like really have EQ. I think that that is the best. Um, the best leaders really know how to manage that. But I think that most people want transparency, right? They want to understand that people are shooting it straight. But I think that they want to also understand that um, they have a job, right? That the company mm-hmm. is doing um, that is looking out for them. Um, that there's some stability. Look, everyone wants stability, even the best le- the the best leaders. Um, they want stability as well. But I think that understanding how to keep the team going while also making sure that um, they're not unnecessarily stressed out, I think is is super, super key. Do they really need to understand pieces of information that um, that are not necessary for them to understand, I think is is probably a key um, leadership. So, um, you know, is it necessary for them to really understand that uh, there's a uh, component of the automation in the plant that we just purchased that is... Um, that has broken and that the uh, that, you know, the line is actually going to take longer than expected to actually come up, of course, because it's going to affect their job. Right. In some way. But having said that, I think that there's ways to actually share that with people rather than sounding the alarms, actually telling them, um, hey, listen, here's this problem came up this morning. Um, this is what we're working on. Um, to actually rectify the situation. Hopefully we will have it up by the end of the day. And um, and if it doesn't get up by the end of the day, then I think also telling people, you know, what's going on with it. I think that the the thing that has bothered me as an employee, right, over the years prior to me starting my own company is that the follow-up, when there's no follow-up, when you hear sort of something that is, um, that is, 
you know, troubling to you in some way, but then somebody doesn't follow up or they're not being, um, or maybe, uh, it's a totally different situation and there's just no follow up after even that. I think that that is something that is, it, 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 you lose trust in, in, you know, the team that you're leading. And I think that that is a very, very key thing for any leader, any size company to recognize people follow people, right? And they want to follow people that they believe are trustworthy, um, that are shooting it straight with them, that are um, trying to, that are actually, uh, to use your term, uh, boots on the ground, right? Like they want to follow people that they believe care. And I think that that is probably the biggest thing that I hear uh, from employees, um, but also from uh, colleagues out there that are that are trying to lead people that without authentic leadership, without um, making sure that people really are being uh, included um, in a process that they believe that they needed, the leader believes these people need to know for some reason. I think that that is really what people are looking for. Yeah, for sure. And we're almost out of time, but I there was one other thing I wanted to ask from the book. I thought that was really interesting. You mentioned that for employees that are really performing well and they're doing awesome in your role, their role that you kind of keep an eye out for, have they maxed out this role? Like even maybe before they know that they're ready to move. Like I'm curious about any advice because some of our, you know, a lot of our brands have hired, made amazing first few hires and you want to, that person to be with you long term. Any tips for kind of keeping an eye out on that person's career tra- trajectory and making sure that you're communicating actively to, you know, to keep them engaged and happy that they're not going to start passively looking on LinkedIn without even thinking about it? Because, you know, they even though they may, they may be even like their job, it just they've kind of maxed it out. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I mean, I th- I think that the key thing is is having a culture where people really want to uh, keep learning, and I think that there are definitely people who come into a role and they want to you know use operations for example they want to stay in operations but and but they max out as they start to move up the ranks and and maybe they don't even aspire to to move up the ranks maybe they you know want more money but they don't necessarily want um, to be managing people I've seen that as well they um, really enjoy being um, you know, an individual contributor versus actually managing other people, which I think is also, um, you know, a longer conversation that I think more and more um, cultures should be open to that. But I think that there's also skills that people have learned within different segments of an organization that they don't know, they don't think about how they could be transferable into other parts of the organization. So one of the uh, stories that I talk about in the book is a member of the Hin organization who's in finance. And as, you know, finance as in his role, as he's starting to engage more and more with ops and um, supply chain and um, fleet management and some of the other pieces, what he started to really realize is that he didn't understand before how much operations really has to do with finance. I mean, it's and he had just not really thought about it. And so for him, every single day, 
that he was talking to the operations team, he was learning. And so sometimes the best conversation will actually come from leaders who can actually share the vision of what could be like, would you be interested in this? And the answer may be no, I'm really happy just staying in, uh, you know, this this room. And I think that it just depends on what people want to do. But I think that ambitious people, um, which every organization has, rather than actually losing them to another organization, which is going to happen, can happen as well, letting people understand what the different opportunities are within your company. It doesn't just mean that it's within that silo of, you know, finance, operations, marketing. It could be that you're pulling from other parts of the organization because that's where people are really learning. And plus, within your segment of your organization, too, bringing in somebody from other parts of the organization brings in different types of thinking, right? And if if they're learning and maybe they don't have the experience, and I think this holds true too for people who are maybe coming into your organization from outside of an industry, allowing people to actually ask the stupid questions like, why is it done that way? They can then take their own experience and bring that into the equation to just make you and your organization better. As long as they know that they are able and they're in a culture that is about it's okay to ask the dumb questions and it's okay. We want to improve and we want to get better. So that's what I found with, um, with all of the organizations that I've worked with. Yeah, that's very helpful. And I just, I could listen to you share stories all day long. So I appreciate you sharing some stories with us today. I'm going to link in the show notes to your book, your website, your own podcast and show, which is awesome so that people can go and hear more from you. But just so appreciate you spending time with me today, Kara. Thank you so much. Thank you. As promised, I wanted to add a little book club segment here at the end of the episode. It's really more of a one-way book club in this medium, but please message me with your thoughts. I just really enjoyed Kara's book, Undaunted, and she didn't sponsor this or anything. I got my copy from the library. I'm an old-fashioned library girl. And I just think there's a lot to learn in this book and it's really applicable. So I'll share a few of my favorite moments just for fun within the book to both pique your interest and if you've read it to see if maybe some of you found similar pieces interesting. So the first one is that she shares this story about losing Starbucks as an account and her learnings about how she handled that tactfully and in a way that allowed them to actually continue working with Starbucks, the locations that are in target locations, rather than if she had just responded with disappointment or an anger or something with, you know, with losing such a big account. She talks a lot about not taking a loss like that personally, and then also goes into the importance of not having all your eggs in one basket or at one large retailer. There's another great story about telling Whole Foods no when they asked for a BOGO or buy one, get one deal, even though it was tense and they thought they were going to lose the Whole Foods account potentially over saying no to doing this deal. But Kara and her team knew it was a deal that was bad for everyone at the time. And it ended up working out, spoiler alert, but I really found that story interesting. Um, She also talks about how people will ask her what it was like to build out a whole new category since Hintwater was the first of its kind. And she talks about not thinking 
too far ahead. And I love this one line where she says, I'm here to tell you that sometimes if you think too much about the end, you will never get past the beginning. And then finally, my last favorite quote for today, she talks about why she loved starting Hint compared to if she had stayed at AOL, which you haven't read about her story of what she built at AOL and her time in the tech world. That's also really fascinating. But she says, at AOL, everybody was asking questions of me and expecting me to supply the answers. Now I was asking the questions, which meant that I was learning every day. Don't tell anyone, but I dog-eared that library book page. So thanks for joining my first and probably only random book club. But please let me know what you think if you read Undaunted. Thank you for listening in today. I'm so honored you joined me for this conversation. And I love hearing from you all with feedback, suggestions, or if you just want to say hi at podcast at startupcpg.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn. If you liked this episode, we'd love for you to share it with a friend or colleague subscribe so you don't miss future episodes, and maybe even leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you aren't yet in our Slack community of founders and experts, we'd love to see you there. You can get the free invite at startupcpg.com and find all our other awesome resources there like webinars, databases, the blog, the magazine, and virtual and in-person events. And if you found yourself rocking out to our intro and outro music, which I do every single time, make sure to check out the Super Fantastics on Spotify. It's the band of our startup CPG founder, Daniel Scharf. I'm Jesse Freitag, your host and producer. And on behalf of the whole team at Startup CPG, thank you for being here and see you next week.